At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old school grit, new world ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. Fast Money begins now live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Scott Wapner in tonight for Melissa Lee. Our traders on the desk are Pete Najarian, Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami ahead on Fast. The S&P on track for its best quarter in years, and a handful of stocks have gone parabolic. We'll tell you which ones have more room to run. And speaking of parabolic, check out Lululemon soaring after its earnings report tonight. That stock up more than 100% over the past year. We've got those details coming up, but we start with a big reversal for stocks today. The Dow swinging more than 300 points as the bond market continues to wreak havoc on Wall Street. The 10-year yield sinking to its lowest level in 14 months as the yield curve continues to flatten. Even the bond proxy sectors like utilities falling today. So should you shake off the growth fears and what is safe to buy? Guy. Well, again, welcome back. Day two of this week. I know you're playing hurt, so Kudos Thank you. to you. Thanks and, for looking out. No, I'm, I'm, I'm pointing out. So are the growth fears overblown? Well, we talk about them a lot, but are they overblown? Well, no, not at a VIX at 15, and not when the S&P 500 within 4% of the all-time high we made back this fall. So I think although they're talked a lot about, the market doesn't seem all that concerned yet. But what I will say is this. You know, the fact that we continue to sort of seem to roll over at this 2800 level has to be somewhat concerning. I think the VIX is too cheap given this environment, and I do think stocks come under some pressure. With that said, to answer your original question, I still about think time. you can buy... <laughs> what was that? It's about time. Oh, yeah. He's, He's playing hurt, but he's school. waiting for an answer. Still got a little I'm not that hurt. Here, right? and I, he's obviously not that hurt. And I think Tim would agree with me on this one. I still think energy could be bought in specific areas. Big cap energy, ExxonMobil. I think some of the names Tim mentioned the other day, Devin and uh, Cabot Oil, for example, is a buy. And I still think healthcare goes higher from so, here. So I, I would agree with that. And I would just take my glass half full to the half empty. You know, the, the, what's going on with the 10-year also may be this, this, some of this. Today's news, not, not the entire move in the 10-year. Obviously, we've been wrestling with growth fears. But uh, Stephen Moore, you know, do we have a loose cannon? The Fed wants to cut rates. The rumor's out there, another 50 basis point cut. There's no it's question. A rumor. Market, he said it. Well, okay. So, but the rumor that the Fed would actually go through and do this, you're right. I mean, people are contemplating whether the Fed cuts once or twice. The fact that we're even doing that is very different than we were a month ago. Um, the things I'm encouraged about, first of all, today's trade data indicated exports were not only up, but they were up significantly to Europe. For everybody that's looking for a rebound and, and you know, at least some response to, hey, I think we're through the worst of the growth fears, I think that's something. Uh, some of the risk indicators you could be looking at, dollar-yen, acts fine. U.S. leveraged loan index, acts fine. U.S. high yield, acts fine. Um, the places where you really get concerned, emerging markets and semis have been battered over the last yeah. five days. And I think you, you could pay caution there. Sorry, Dan, as long as rates, though, remain low and at the top of the conversation, doesn't it put somewhat of a cap on, on the rally? It might do, but I think at this stage of the game, with rates going the way they are from the 10-year yield above three and a quarter just, what, uh, six it's months ago to where it is, it looks like it's going back to 2%. That's not particularly bullish in my mind. For, of course it's not. Uh, no, I mean, it, it, it just... It, I, well, okay. So he asked Sorry. me, not you. Sorry. He's the one well, asking just, you're right. but, but here's one right thing now. I want to... Well, so, well, so can I make my next point? In there. So the last time we well, had this situation was like, 
was late 2015, uh, early 2016. And we really did have a serious global growth fear about deflation, about rates just going there. This is when we started to see a lot of sovereign debt go negative around the world. And what outperformed here in the U.S.? It was these things with strong secular trends. It was the MAGA, MAGA. trade. You guys call it FANG. It was also a lot of these cloud names. Um, but I think it's a different period right now because I'm looking at Adobe. I'm looking at Salesforce right now. They don't have the outperformance relative to the NASDAQ that they did once, uh, you know, just a couple of years ago. So I guess my point is, it's one thing to say high growth, secular trends. This is fantastic. But here we are a couple years out from the last time we had that sort of scare. And I'm not sure the valuations make a whole heck of a lot of sense in some of those things right now. I think what you're doing is you're always looking for quality. That's where everybody starts, right? But when you look at the interest rates and you look at where we were over 3%, here we are at 2.4% or a little bit below that even. So what does that mean? It means the multiple increases and what you can do in terms of the market itself. And I think you look at names right now that you look for quality and the first ones you look for, you look for quality, you look for free cash flows, and then all of a sudden you look at dividend yield and some give of the Give me some of, of them things. then. Where is the Give you quality? a great list. I'll give you, I, yeah. I looked through my list just now of what I own stock-wise, Scott, and almost all of those fell in the category of they have growth, they've got a dividend yield, they've got quality. Target, Home Depot, Lowe's. You go through that list and KMI, Kinder Morgan. So you're still exposed somewhat to energy, but it's not so much based on just price. But Home Depot but and Lowe's, though, are exposed to a slower economy. They are the exposed, housing market. They're exposed been, to that uh, if you believe weak. that. If you believe, I mean, we are weakening a little bit, I think, in the economy. But are we are we slowing to a stop? No. Do I think the spring season is going to be strong? Yes. There's, I still think we're going to see the Home Depots and Lowe's outperform. I think there's major defense for Home Depot, at least in an environment where people are less, um, you know, optimistic about what might be going on. In the economy because frankly people are going to be fixing up their homes they have jobs interest rates are low i think they're going to be spending money on their houses i also think that home depot has proven to at least have some counter cyclicality to it you talk about free cash flow yields you know look look at the energy sector again you know chevron has never had better free cash flow yields um, and i think that's something to think about nike great free cash flow yields. Apple, great free cash flow yields. So yes, I agree. And I agree with those names that Pete talked about. Those are high quality companies here. And, and the world is not falling apart overnight. And I think as much as we want to believe that that could be the case based upon a bond market move that's, that's dramatic and scary, um, it, it's not what's happening. It's not like right the now. data overseas, though, X the bond market here is robust. I mean, it's, it's not robust. These economies, uh, whether it's Germany, and, and other places are, around the world are, are undoubtedly slowing. They, they are undoubtedly slowing, and we can make an argument that Germany is, is first of the major European economies to go into recession. We're going to have a lot of data tomorrow morning. Look at CPIs out of Europe, uh, especially Germany, and you also get European confidence. But uh, again, I am encouraged by if we think that the trade war was essentially a supply-side issue, um, you should get a V-shaped recovery if we think that the trade war is gone. I mean, do you guys believe that if we didn't have the trade war, the economy would yep. be in the same place it is Right but, now. but the point is, no. The question I mean, is, how much better, if it was better, would it really be? Okay. That's the thing. Yeah, you're, I mean, but you're saying you get a V? Well, I don't know. Maybe the V starts up, but then it stalls because earnings are still not going to be all that great. Yeah, the best case scenario, though, we have an S&P 500 that's up 12% on the year. Now, obviously, it's where it was just seven months ago. You know, so we actually did have a V recovery in the stock market, but we're still well below those prior highs, and we've been in an 18-month range. I'd say the best case scenario now is the idea of thinking about how does the second half look if we do have some sort of trade deal in the early summer, because that's the trade that you really want to get on here, and 
you'd like to see the stock market actually pull back, right? You'd like to see sentiment get a bit worse than it is right now. You'd like to see when Q2 guidance comes out in April, you'd like to see it somewhat downbeat without a whole heck of a lot of clarity because that's a market you want to buy for what is most certainly going to be some sort of deal for the second half of the year. I know we all pay attention to the S&P 500 in terms of where is it going now. It's up whatever you just said, 12%, whatever it might be right now. But don't we look at the whole rotation of what's going on in the market as well? I mean, we're looking for the sectors and the segments in which we want to be, right? I mean, we're always moving. Semiconductors, you just mentioned, have had a dramatic pullback from where they were. They were screaming up, and now we've got a little bit of a pullback. Does that mean it's over for the semis? I don't think so, but I think you just got to go through each and every one of these and just figure out where the rotations are, be very nimble. And again, and Scott and I were talking about this at noon, it's a trading market. This continues to be very much a trading market, and even the big boys are trading this market, and I think that's why we're seeing these moves where we're seeing swings once again, up 200, down 200 in the same day. That's because it's trading. If you're worried about the breakdown in yields, our next guest has three high-dividend-paying stocks to buy for a breakout. Chris Verone of Strategus Research is at the plasma to break it down for us. Hey, Chris. Hey, Scott. Well, first, let's talk about what happened today, because I thought it was really interesting. You had yields lower, but the yield group, utilities, REITs, even gold, did not act that well. So maybe there's some type of a change afoot here in the bond market. I want to look at 10-year yields here uh, just to start. This is over the last several years. You know, remember, 10s bottomed at 130 back in the summer of 16, and they peaked at 330. Uh, in the summer of uh, 2018. That's a 200 basis point move over two years. If you cut that move in half, it gets you right to about 230. So a 50% retracement of this entire move is basically where yields trade right now. That's an area of support. We would not be surprised to see yields bounce from here, particularly with sentiment and momentum now oversold. So don't be shocked to see yields rally. I think in that environment, if we want to own yield stocks, they have to be more than just yield payers. This is McDonald's uh, MCD. Good story, good picture. It has spent the better part of the last six months in a pretty tight range. We think it breaks up and out of that 170 range uh, on its way to 190. And importantly, MCD outperforming the S&P as well. So a good relative trend there. I think Lowe's is another uh, example here. The yield on Lowe's is about 180. So you're getting a, a, a pretty competitive yield. The trend has been intact for the better part of the last couple of years. Every single time it finds support, it rallies. Finds support, it rallies. It did that a few weeks ago. What we really like here is in relative terms, about to make new relative highs versus the S&P. So we think Lowe's is fine. I think Intel is another story. Yield here about 250. It's coming out of this big base. For what's been a pretty weak last couple days for the semis, Intel's actually held in there okay. I think if you get this back to $50, it's timely. And then on the other side, what do you want to avoid? The stocks that are only yield plays. That's Altria for us. It's rallied right into resistance at the downward sloping 200-day moving average. It has failed here several times in the past. This still looks like a bear market chart to us. We think this one goes lower. So when you put this together, we suspect yields probably bounce here. So if you're going to own yield stocks, focus on things like Microsoft or Intel or Lowe's. That's where the value is. All right, Chris, come on over to the desk. No uh, vote. I mean, sometimes what we like to do on this show is that we vote. I don't think Scott needs to be coached. Oh, I, I don't think Mel took over and said, look, it's the way it is. Veto. No, he's he's asking question, but I, don't give me the dagger eyes. Right. It's just a question. Chris is here, by the way. Wow, he's, I mean, the producers were talking to me in, in my earpiece, not from over here. Okay? No, I apologize. I got a little ahead of myself there. I'm sorry. I'll be quiet. Bottom line is just looking for yield is not enough. I don't think so. I think we've been in an environment where over the last couple of weeks, they just took them from 260 to 230. 
They're probably oversold here. I thought the last couple days were telling that you didn't have the yield groups actually act that well. Utilities were a lagger today. REITs were a lagger today. Gold was down. So what does the market already know? I think maybe starting to price in, and Tim talks about this, our growth expectations actually maybe starting to bottom here. Are we at the point now where, where we want to start thinking, what's the next trade? Now, Pete, we talked about this is a very trading environment. I think that speaks to what we've seen here recently. Well, you're, two of your stocks as well, Intel yeah. and, and Lowe's, yeah. are ones that you like. Yes. Plays right into what Chris Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm, I'm curious, do, are some of the other names that I mentioned, do they fall into the category as well? well the Home Depots of the sure, world. I, I mean, if you think about the whole housing space, the whole yes. home building space, Lenar. these are stocks that have been getting better for six months now. The home builders did not bottom on December 26th with the market. They bottomed in the, way earlier in the fourth quarter. So I think the housing market has already been showing you that something may be getting better in that space. Look at how Lenar acted today. Look at how Pulte and Toll KBH. That's a good space. We think it's getting better. Lowe's, again, with a 180 yield is an attractive way to play it, too. Chris, how do you deal with a name like Intel, which didn't really suffer the same fallout as all the rest of the markets did? So, in fact, Intel was very defensive going through December uh, into the downdraft in the market and has been kind of um, less than spectacular on the way up here. What's your trading view? I do want to still keep in mind, Intel was down 25% from high to low in the fourth quarter of last year. So, it got shaken out with the rest of them. Some of the semis were down 40, so certainly from that context. Um, but it's a stock that actually started to outperform in September, October. It's continued to outperform in a risk-on market over the last three months. That just sounds like a leader to me, right? You get this thing back from 52 to 50, it's a pretty good area to add some exposure there. All right, good stuff. Thank you. Thanks for being here, Chris Verona. All right, we have much more on the market. Take a look at some of the stocks up double digits this year. Next Plus, check out Lululemon soaring after its earnings. That stock has been on a tear. We'll bring you the latest And breaking moments ago, Lyft set to price between 70 and 72, again above the expected range. We'll tell you what it means as that stock goes public this week. We're live in Times Square. More Fast Money in two minutes. Edward Jones, who knows that just like life, financial planning isn't only about long-term goals. It's about the moments big and small along the way. And when it comes to achieving everyday financial goals, Edward Jones works hard to connect you with someone you can trust professionally and personally. That's why they created their free financial advisor matching tool to help you find a financial advisor in your community. When you take the quiz and get your matches, don't expect just a list of resumes. You'll also see each financial advisor's story and personal interests. And when it's time to meet for the first time, they'll focus on your story, asking questions to understand where you're headed and why. Because Edward Jones knows that at the end of the day, behind every financial goal is a life goal. And that's what really matters. To learn more and find your financial advisor partner, take the quiz at match.edwardjones.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. We have a news alert on Lyft, which is set to go public on Friday. Deirdre Bosa live for us tonight in San Francisco with those details. Deirdre. Hey, Scott, Lyft upping its range to 70 to 72 dollars from its original range of 62 to 68 dollars. It will sell nearly 31 million shares in its IPO. As you said, expected this Friday. We will get more exact pricing tomorrow evening. Um, and guys, we know that this IPO was oversubscribed very early on in its roadshow. And there has been a lot of interest for a few reasons. First, Lyft is going to be the first ride-sharing company that public market investors really get to play in. Um, it has 
Also, it is one of this class of aging unicorns that have been private for a very long time and let its valuation climb through VC money. But still, guys, it is set to go public at an even higher valuation with this new range. Its implied market cap could be as high as $20.5 billion on a non-diluted basis. And to give you some perspective, that would put it on par with the value of United Continental. So lots of excitement, but lots of questions as well. Of course, this is a company, we've talked about this lots, that has lost nearly a nearly a billion dollars last year. Lots of questions about the business model and the company can't even guarantee that it ever will be profitable. Um, so this is the latest pricing. The debut will have important implications for its larger rival Uber because it is planning to go public as early as April. The better Lyft does, the better Uber does, even though it is a much bigger company, much bigger platform that does ride sharing along with um, a lot of other businesses. And it's invested in a lot of other ride sharing companies around the world. So um, the fact that it is going to be priced higher it's ex- than its expected range is interesting, and it will be making its debut if all goes well, where you guys are on the NASDAQ this Friday. All right, Deirdre, thank you. Deirdre Bosa uh, with the latest there. You want to trade this? Yeah, so what I think is really interesting is that all of a sudden now, coming to the public markets, we have a brand new sector, transportation as a service. And Deirdre just said it. Public investors are going to get to play in something that VCs have been playing in for a long time. The other thing about Lyft is really interesting. It is a pure play on the ride share market here in the U.S. Very different than what's going to come from Uber in a couple of months. So I suspect that there's going to be tremendous demand for this thing. And when you talk about the valuation at $20, $25 billion, let's not forget that's something that Twitter was at when it came public about four years ago or five years ago, that sort of thing. So to me, I think the growth is here. They have a very solid management. It is a pure play on something that we know is going to be a transformative business. It's already been a very transformative business here in the U.S. And I would just say it differently. I I think there's, I I agree with everything you said, other than, no, I would just say that there's limited capacity to invest in the space. You said it's a new angle. I think you you, you have a case where I'm not sure Uber gets the same look. I also think that people are playing relative value already. I think there are issues at Uber that people are not willing to look past in a much bigger company with a much bigger amount of stock coming to market. My biggest concern is when the, the, the idea that they don't ever see profitability, boy, does that sound like snap, right? I mean, when, when we saw some of the other IPOs that are big, everybody wants them. They all wanted to be in social media at the time. They go for a snap, for instance. When if, if they're not going to be making money, Pete, but here's doesn't the thing. that bu- but 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 Snap is, is is not an essential company. You know they're they're doing maybe a couple billion dollars in sales next year or something like that. Right. And that's sales out of a massive. Not to mention pie growing that, users versus not growing. Right, right. Users, I, so I mean, like, this is this is a business that is going to continue to grow. And we just saw that Uber is paying um, three billion dollars for a ride sharing company in the Middle East. You know the growth is global, and this is something that you know the, growth, the addressable market profit, is much bigger. Profitability than it is. is always an issue for me. And when you look at fundamentals, I mean we're we're talking about that at the top of the show. You look at fundamentals, right? At some point, you have to look at fundamentals. Yeah, Pete, I people think. weren't bothered yeah. in the fact that that Amazon wasn't actually printing any profits. They still are. For, yeah, for years. But people what I'm saying still is, are bothered I, I, by that. The I just fact think that as Amazon long as you have a risk-on dynamic, all right, uh, as far as investors are concerned, there's going to be demand for well-run companies. This would like be this a that sell to me if I was lucky enough to be on this and get yeah. get what you issue. are trying to I'm do. Trying very hard. Yes. And it's going from a price of 60 to 70 or 72 is the next range. Yes, I think it could go higher. I'd want to be out pretty quick. How about Icon? Do you remember the investment that he made back in 15? Brilliant. $100 million at a $2 billion valuation. Good for Carl. Cha-ching. Yeah. He does, I mean, he's, but I'll say this. You know, there's some great shows on the CNBC network all day, and I was watching the Squawk Box this morning, <laughs> and they had a gentleman that was talking about IPOs. He rates them, and in terms of their rating, this was one of the lowest-rated IPOs he's seen in quite some time. Lower rated than Snap, for example. Based on so, what? 
based on a lot of metrics, mostly the financials metric, yeah. that he talked about. Yeah. So it's interesting. I think the, 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 the metrics were somewhere between zero and eight, and this came in below five. I might be off with my numbers. Point being, everybody will probably run into it because everybody knows Lyft. I was actually a Lyft driver for a day. But that doesn't mean it's a sustainable business model, I think, the Pete's point. All right. We do have some breaking news on the FAA Boeing hearing. Elon Moy has that for us tonight. Elon? Scott, that hearing has lasted two hours and counting so far. And there have been some fireworks, including one particularly heated exchange between Democratic Senator Ed Markey and the acting head of the FAA over what safety features should be mandatory on Boeing 737 MAX 8s. Senator, safety critical pieces of equipment on an aircraft are mandatory. That's what certification does. If it's safety critical... So you don't, think that, you don't think that they should have been mandatory. Is that what you're saying? Is that what you just said? They should not have been mandatory? Sir, I'm saying that any yes safety no. critical... Should they, should they have been mandatory? Yes or no? Sir, the, the distinction between what goes in a flight deck and what stays out is a discussion... So there they were talking specifically about the angle of attack indicator. Markey and about 12, 13 other Democrats had sent a letter to Boeing CEO accusing the company of providing safety a la carte. But Boeing has put out a statement saying that they plan on offering that indicator uh, at no cost to airlines in the future. Back over to you. All right, Elon, thank you very much for that report. Despite all this, airlines were a bright spot in the market today, Timmy? Well, it's interesting. And also, the, the MAX 737 issue was something where people wanted to possibly impute this upon airlines. Actually, it might be, uh, they might have lower routes. They might actually be a little bit more margin-friendly on the back of this. It might even cut some capacity, something we like to see with airlines. Uh, it, it, bottom line is, this is a bad situation. That doesn't necessarily mean it has to be good for airlines, which often, sometimes, these things really are in the case of airlines. I think airlines as a group, and I, I would say Delta at the front of the line, uh, are priced as if we're in a recessionary market. I think they're trading stock more so than even other stocks in the transport you know, sector, which is obviously very cyclical. I love Delta. Nine and a half times to me is the best of breed. You know, you know it's funny, though. Real quickly, we have a couple charts. If you look at United, you look at Delta, you look at American. I mean, you say they're priced for a recession. The charts look like they're about to just 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 flush. I mean, they, they're really bad. So today, those bounces that you said it was the one bright spot are off of really key support levels. Just kind of look at those. They bounce where they should have, you know, but Delta, the one that on a relative basis acts the best, looks like a massive head and shoulders top. So to me, there's something else going on in this group that's kind of evil here. That's been hanging around for a while. I think the interesting thing from a Boeing perspective is 40% of the profits are coming from the Mac, or from the 737. I mean, that's, that's pretty stunning, right? I mean, that's something where you got to look at it's the workhorse jet. Yes, and you talk about City had that, 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 that call today. They said either a $500 stock or, or there's a 5%. Right? Let's remind everybody, 5% shot that it goes down to 220. So they're playing some of this. They're playing at both sides, but small to the downside in their opinion and obviously looking much more upside. Yeah. Well, quickly, Southwest Air to me probably has the most to lose, but it actually is one of the better stocks. Today. I think it was up 2.25%. And, and I think they have 35 or 36 of those planes now on hold or basically sitting on runways getting inspected. What's the point? I mean, valuations are interesting. Southwest is a little more expensive than Delta, I agree. But the fact that it did well today leads me to believe that maybe it continues to rally into earnings, which I believe are on April 25th. All right. For more on the airlines, head to CNBC.com. Here's what else is coming up on Fast. Trade it. Fade it. Fade it. Trade it. A handful of stocks are breaking out as the S&P has its best quarter in a decade. 
The traders will tell you which ones to trade or fade. Plus, want to know how to invest like a ninja? Well, you're in luck because the host of American Ninja Warrior will be here. You won't want to miss what he has to say. Much more fast, still ahead. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at... 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Go back to Fast Money. S&P on track for the best quarter since 2012, and a handful of stocks have gone parabolic. Check out the moves in names like Chipotle, Ulta, GE, Xilinx, and Hess, all up around 40% or more this year. So given these moves, we thought it was the perfect time to play. Love game, Scott. Great game. <laughs> That's Woo. right. Timmy's favorite game, trade it or fade it. Let's get right to it. Guy, <laughs> Ulta Beauty up more than 40% this year. Trade it or fade it. I like this game. You're a sports fan, though, right? right? I mean, yeah. I know you're not feeling well, so I want to ask you a quick question. Feeling great. What are you talking about? If what you, would give you that you're, idea? You're a Washington Capitals fan. So if the Capitals right, were Stanley to Cup defending champs, trade Alex Ovechkin, wow. it would be because they didn't want him anymore. It's just an odd game to me. The trade it actually means you want to buy it. I just want to bring that up because I know you're not that familiar with this game. Thank but you But I'll play much. it correctly for you. Trade all to beauty. God, and people out there going to see, how can you trade? This stock has been parabolic over the last six months. Yes, it has. But you look at the quarter, ridiculous quarter in terms of comps. Inventories were up 10.8% year over year. Sales growth was close to 20%. Margins continue to hold in there. This, this, this program they have that keeps people in, everybody feels good about being in Ulta, is firing on all cylinders. And quite frankly, at 23 or so times forward earnings, it's not crazy expensive in terms of their earnings growth. So I say trade it. See, trade relative it. to themselves, I mean, this is a consumer products company that I, I, I'm not sure how much pricing power they have. I actually think it's more expensive than that. I would be fading this oh. stock, Scott. By the way, I won't get into the sports metaphor. We don't need it. Um, I, I think this stock, to me, in an environment where, if anything, sounds like you guys think that the consumer could be under some pressure. Not sure why you want to be in cosmetics discretionary. I think you trade it because of the fact that the free cash flow is there. And we talk about that every single night when we break down all these stocks. And the fundamental story is there as well. So balance sheet is great. Trades it 23 times. And what's the growth? Huh. Yeah. Giddy up. Tremendous Good growth. enough. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Dan, you're up next. Chipotle, sure. 62% in 2019. <laughs> Trade it or fade it? Uh, I, think, I think you fade it here. What a game. And I'll tell you why. I mean, this is, this is, 
Back in 2015, this company printed $15.40 in earnings, and they saw that basically evaporate the next year with all that E. coli sort of stuff. Next year, they're expected to actually get back to that peak earnings, about $15.5, $12.5 this year. So we're almost there. The stock is basically about 10% away from those all-time highs back in 2015, trading about 56 times this year's expected earnings, which is expensive to its history, um, especially when it's getting back up to this earnings ramp. So to me, I just think if you have not been in this trade, uh, you're not getting in it now for what might be an epic double top once investors start to discount the fact that they're back at that peak earnings to me. So uh, I'm, uh, I'm fading this one, I think you would say. I would agree yeah. with Dan, Nathan. Oh, really? I, wow. Okay. No, come, why, why do you have to be that way? I'm just saying. You know? no, seriously, I mean, everything has got to be confrontational. Yeah. I'm agreeing with you. I think you're making cogent points. The double top you speak of comes around 750, I think, July or so of 2015. 45 times forward earnings is ridiculous. But you know what? The valuation's been ridiculous for the last $100. So you have to ask at a certain point. You've just been wrong. I've been trying to fade the stock for quite some time, but I will say this. I agree with Dan. You could have the mother of all double tops, Whoa. and it come, comes into form no, around just, seven. What's, what's O? Just, you said mother. And, of anyway, all, it's been a burrito blowing up, for sure. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Tim. Hi. GE up 37% this year. Trade it or fade it? I'm going to trade it. And obviously, GE's up 37% is after a blasting and a plastering in 2018. And, and what's going on here? Well, uh, between the sales and at least the ones we've outlined, first of all, we have very near-term $40 billion uh, in, in spin-outs and WabTech and, and Biopharma, you name it. And so I think, look, the story for GM really is about balance sheet. Nothing changes overnight, but I think Larry Culp is making change faster. I, I don't think there's a lot to be excited about other than um, the sum of the parts still make sense to me in this business. And I think if you look at the earnings multiple, uh, it's very debatable what they're going to earn, but I don't think that even matters at Kim, this is point. Is it getting whittled down? You say the some of the parts. Are they just taking those best parts and kind of kicking them out? And I just think that last month we saw when they announced that deal, right? And that was something that everyone was really positive about. The stock was up 20% in the pre-market. It gave it all back over the next couple of weeks. Are investors starting to lose uh, patience or, you know, still it's a very complicated story here. Well, I think they need to be very patient. I, look, Baker Hughes to me in an environment where I think energy is slowly re-rated over the last couple of years, I, I think Baker Hughes might be valued at a discount right now. They don't have to go sell it. Uh, that's part of the story here. But definitely look, getting that, that utility, that power book into a place where it's, it's not a loss leader, but that actually even it's running at, at even kill is what I think Larry Culp is doing. That will help this company slowly revitalize these assets. You think it's going back low single digits I think digits it's the Titanic. Again? I think, oh, they're, oh, moving, I think oh, they're moving the oh. deck chairs around on the Titanic right now. And the problem is he's not getting the prices that he needs to get. He's doing what he has to do and what he needs to do. But I look at the balance sheet. You still have $100-plus billion in debt. I mean, that's a big number. And so at some point in time, I think people will start looking at that and get more and more concerned. It's been a great run from six up to here. But can it go any higher? I don't know. All right. You want to do Xilinx while we're I'll at it? It's up almost 50%. Yeah. Go for it. Sorry about no. that. Yeah. Well, in Xilinx, you know what? This is a name that actually I, I, I traded all the way up to 100 and then I gave up. But then suddenly I look at the stock now and it's trading a buck and a quarter. This is a stock that's showing incredible growth. They've got great cash flows. They're doing everything right. They're in the right sector. But there are times where you get pullbacks. I think you're starting to see a little bit of a pullback. I'd like to see a little bit more. That's why I say trade it. I don't think you want to fade this one too much. You fade this thing, you're going to be looking at the stock trade in 150. We do a little segment on it. We do trade it or fade it on the show. We never do another segment. Would you rather? 
We do a would you rather as well. We also Dude, there, there's a production call at 4.30. We don't need to have another one at 5.30. Let's just go. Folks at home, let's get let's going. The folks at home not here. And the right? folks at home know that we do Conference call at 4.30. Yeah, We're having like another pitch. one now. Power we do something pitch. called power the power pitch. pitch. Yeah. And you, Pete might recall this. We did a power pitch on the Xilinx when it was trading about $88. And, Dan, you, you were so mean to me. I mean, you're mean to me a lot, but you were you're particularly mean tonight, to me that John. night. You're but sensitive. I'm with Pete on this. Soul 5G thing reports on April 24th. I think it continues to rally in earnings. Okay, coming up. Check out shares of Lululemon soaring after its earnings report. One of the traders here says the rally is just getting started. Ooh, who could that be? Find out why. Plus, want to know how to invest like a ninja? You are in luck because American Ninja Warrior host Akbar Bajabiamila is here to tell us how to do just that. More fast money straight ahead. You're really good. You're good. Welcome back. Lulu soaring after its earnings report. Seema Modi has more details on that. Hey, Seema. Hey, Scott. Lululemon's success during the critical holiday season and strong growth in Asia helped offset an operating loss in Europe. Specifically, China e-commerce continues to be particularly robust, generating an increase of over 140% in the fourth quarter. And CEO Calvin McDonald says demand is going to stay strong going forward. China is an area of focus and significant opportunity for us. We are seeing strong success across this market and are pleased to see more and more people living the sweat life and engaging with our brand. We will accelerate the pace of new store openings and continue to connect with our guests through local community events and brand activations. Lulu opened its first store in Osaka and Macau in the fourth quarter and plans to unveil 25 to 30 stores internationally this year as the retailer tries to extend its brand awareness outside of the U.S. Now, in terms of new categories, management says men's pants has been one of the fastest growing products for the company. You remember, the company did recently sign NFL quarterback Nick Foles as an ambassador. It's also encouraged by growth in its self-care line. It did launch a new line back in fall of 2018, as well as a new partnership with SoulCycle. Scott, the stock is up after hours. Back to you. And big. Thanks, Seema. Thanks very much. Pete, I mean, this is one of your, uh, has I been one of your top stock. picks. They voted against me. I still love they this stock. They voted against no, you? I know that shocks you. I mean, I don't know what stock's <laughs> ever gone through. But I will tell you, one of the things that we always talk about is the, the men's category, that's a growth area. You also are talking about they're not just athleisure anymore. They're actually clothing that is work appropriate. And they've got shoes. And they're starting to get China is really starting to take off from e-commerce has been something that's been growing, growing, growing. So the combination of all that, Scott, if they can continue that growth internationally, which they obviously, that's the game plan. But if men's can move from 20% where it is right now, up towards 25% over the next year, maybe 30% over the next year, and start to get a little bit more of a mix with the women's wear, along with the little girls wear that they've got as well. All of that together is why this stock, I think, goes much higher. I think 200 is not ridiculous to say it's a $200 stock. I mean, I've asked you between Nike and Lulu, which Lulu do you every like, time, and it's Lulu a, every time. Not even a question. Well, think about this. Margins are almost double. Just about every category you look at is almost double, and yet this trades at 32 times and Nike trades at 26 times. Which is the better buy? Absolutely, Lulu. Well, it, it's clearly a case where they've got a similar story to tell right now in terms of innovation, where North America is actually fine and it's picked up where I think there are people con- somewhat concerned. But China, e-commerce growth up 140 percent. Asia uh, segment sequential quarter up 70 percent. So these numbers are very impressive. This is the kind of stuff that Nike was giving you. Obviously, they were up 28 percent in China, very different growth numbers, but for a bigger company. You know, Scott, on Friday at 530, <laughs> there's a show called Good Options night, Action. Heard Great of it. show. Heard of it. You should <laughs> tune in. It's really fantastic. But this Friday, really helpful Coco today, Beware and I did a power pitch. That's Mike Coe. A tag team on Lululemon, a bullish play that's working out 
feverishly well, folks. And one of the reasons is that China growth that we talked about and the men's division and the fact that now they're buying back $500 million worth of stock. I would caution quickly that 164 or so was the previous all-time high this September. In my opinion, it's paramount that we now close above. You have the pants, by the way? No. You have those athletes pants? Unreal. No, but I have the I, boxer briefs. They're fantastic. Why'd you go there? There's nothing. You there. asked me what I had. I don't have the pants. I do. I, I got them. I wear them for golf. They're the good pants. pants. I mean, yeah, they're great this, pants. I'm sorry. I started this. It's my fault. All right. Speaking of options, action shares of Gap were up around 3% today. One options trader sees a bigger rally ahead. You uh, saunter over saunter. to the uh, plasma. One of the great walks. Um, yeah, so today in Gap stores, call volume was two <laughs> times that of puts. And there was one trade that kind of caught my eye shortly after noon. He's shuffling over. Stock He's really trading. What is that? Uh, when the stock was trading about 26 bucks, there was a buyer of 6,000 of the June 27 calls paying $1.27 for those. Those break even at 28.27 on June expiration. Ugh. One of the things I find really interesting, a couple weeks ago, is March 1st, we're sitting on this desk and we see this announcement, actually it was February 28th, Gap Stores was trading up 25% in the aftermarket. We're all scratching our head because they're splitting up Old Navy and Gap Stores and we're saying to ourselves, I think we went around the desk and we're like, sold to you. And I think that was really interesting. Well, look what happened. Here's the one-year chart of Gap stores. That's that gap, mining that gap. It gave it all back here. So today we have this kind of little up move as the stock is trading back near the 52-week lows. If you look at the break-even on June expiration of those calls that were purchased, it's up here, about 28 27, like I said, so obviously a trader looking to play for a kind of move back up to those prior highs. I just want to make one point why you might want to play with the defined risk in a name like that, especially when that good news was rejected so aggressively. This is the five-year chart here. You can just see what's going on. It's been banging around the bottom here. There is a huge air pocket um, down to the high teens if we break at current levels here. Okay, for more options action, check out the full show, as Guy said, Friday nights, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time right here on CNBC. Coming up, shares of Kronos getting crushed this week. So what's going on with cannabis? Stick around and you will find out. Plus, here's a sneak peek at our Kramer cam. There it is. Here's Jim talking to the Centene CEO about their WellCare acquisition. Don't miss that interview, top of the hour, 6 p.m. There's more fast after this. Go back on Fast Money. Kronos getting crushed down 10% today, hit by a number of downgrades after earnings this week. Canaccord saying that the company's valuation has gotten ahead of its fundamentals. And it's not just Kronos taking a hit in the last month. Tilray, Canopy, Alfria all down after a strong start to the year. Mr. Cannabis. So a couple things. So by, by deduction, what would you say? Those four companies we just named are all Canadian companies. So what's happening right now is certainly valuations in Canada as a function of fully federally legal has allowed a lot of people to buy it because of that dynamic. Also, every one of those companies trades on the New York Stock Exchange or the NASDAQ. That also gives you a liquidity premium that's in the price of these shares. What I would say is in Cronus's case, some fantastic strategic deals with the Altria and other folks. Um, if you listen to Canaccord, they've got them at 91 times 2020 EV EBITDA, which is absurd. So, you know, good for them for making a valuation call. I, I think the, the story is buying U.S. MSOs right now. Yeah, but Tim, is it a better way to play through like an Altria that have these stakes constellation rather than actually just getting in these names that the, the valuations are a little nuts? At least you have those other kind of levers in the, in the other consumer names. I don't think so. I, I, I think I actually own Altria. I know own Constellation. But if you think about the percentage of their business that's coming from right, cannabis, right. own cannabis. You know, own these guys and, and ride on. But I, 
I think what we're soon going to see, and if we get uh, this SAFE Act banking deal done, the fact that you'll be able to see U.S. multi-state operators come to the NASDAQ, come to the New York Stock Exchange, very important. What you might also see is some of these big U.S. companies spinning out their hemp or their CBD business so that they can come public with those names here and now and get some of that valuation premium. That is happening. You got anything? Well, we got a lot of things, but in terms of the space, you got something on this topic. Well, you know, this is the NCA. This is the NCA. We're right in the middle of this sucker, this oh, tournament, God. right? And basketball players talk about. Where are you going to go with this? Well, guys, have got mad hops. Guys, that can jump out of the gym. Well, you want to talk about a stock that's got mad hops? Take a look at GW Farmer, which was a hundred dollar stock six months ago. Now it's trading one sixty five. Report in May. Some great FDA data behind them. If you want to play in a space that has some medical. Um, stuff and medical juice behind it. It's GWPH. Okay. Thank you for that. <laughs> Great metaphor. <laughs> we good? Everybody good? Holy okay. Yeah. Yeah. Coming up. How you doing? I'm hanging in. All right. Good. Thank you. Do you want to invest like a ninja? Well, stick around because the host of American Ninja Warrior, Akbar Bajabiamilla, is here with us live right there. And he'll explain exactly how to do just that. You won't miss that. Back in two minutes. Welcome back to Fast Money. CNBC has a financial wellness and education initiative called Invest in You. Ready, set, grow in partnership with Acorns. It's the saving and investing app. And joining us now is Akbar Bajabia Millip. He is a former NFL star, current co-host of the TV hit show American Ninja Warrior, the author of Everyone Can Be a Ninja. Find your inner warrior and achieve your dreams. It's great to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. This is cool. I mean, I've always watched this on TV. Oh, TV you're lying. Come on, come on, Akbar. You watch it every day. Uh, no, I didn't say I watch it every day. I, I, watch it. I, mean, like, I work with a guy named Matt Money Smith, and he always has it on in the locker room at, the, uh, at work. We made him smarter, right? Yes. Yeah. All right. I love your backstory. When did financial literacy become important to you? You know, financial literacy became important to me really when I made it to the NFL, and that was the first time that I really was making solid money. I real, still remember my first, you know, year, $225,000 in 2003. I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is a lot of money. What am I going to do? And I was just telling the story. I remember where, you know, my quarterback at the time, Rich Gannon, telling me, he says, Akbar, don't listen to these guys making fun of your car because I was driving a, a Pontiac, 1998 Pontiac Sunfire. He's <laughs> like, make sure you invest. Go buy a home, you know what I'm saying, in, in, in Alameda. And just, uh, I'm like, man, I don't know a lot. I'm having locker room conversations because I don't know enough about it. Um, but once I started to learn about investments, it then really started to make me think, where else do you learn about financial literacy? You don't learn about it in elementary. You don't learn about it in junior high school, high school, or college. Nowhere else. It's not until you get into the real world yeah. where everybody goes, hey, you're supposed to be responsible with your money. Like, oh, hold on, but wh where did I ever never learn about this? Anything. We never learned about this. So Most important things that you did learn once you decided that this was something you, you know, I, I need to get a, a grip on. Well, I, I think for me it was that money grows, yeah. and it was kind of cool, you know, in the age where everybody loves, you know, video games. Of course, I grew up in the video game era. Era Madden was uh, popular, but I still never forget investing in Janus funds and just seeing, you know, uh, $2,500 then turn into $2,800 and it just kept rolling. I'm just like, this is cool. I'm not, I'm literally not doing anything. At one point, I remember always having to go check in and like, oh man, you're like, damn, I've been doing it. Like, hold on, but why did it go up? And, you know, that, you know, the game part of it kind of made it cool to see your money grow. You know, you always hear, you know, at least me growing up in South Central Los Angeles. 
you hear people say, oh, yeah, those guys, they got a lot of money. They just, they wake up and they make money. I was like, this is happening. This is really happening. So it was cool. It was, sort yeah, of it was fun. Yeah. An awakening as well when you left pro football and realized how much you had saved yeah. in your career and what your subsequent earning years were going to be that you had to get more of a handle on how am I going to make a living for the rest of my life? Well, yeah, that's the, that's the one thing. I had a dream of playing 10 years in the NFL. I didn't end up playing 10 years in the NFL. I ended up only having four years in the NFL. And, you know, here I am at 27, 28 years old, just thinking, what am I going to do now with the rest of my life? I'm still in my 20s. I got a long way to go. Um, and But I've been very fortunate now to be able to host a show, American Ninja Warrior, and have a post-career that has really kind of helped me out uh, financially. Now getting into writing a book, having my book, uh, Everyone Can Be a Ninja, comes out a day after my 40th birthday. Nice. So, uh, nice. so I'm pretty cool. Nice. May send that's awesome. pretty cool about Yeah, that's pretty cool. So a couple things that you, know, you sort of live by. Fear is our greatest enemy, you say, and how self-doubt fueled the determination that you have. Yeah, you know, for me, I, you know, I just think about the, just the different points in my life where, you know, I was overcome with fear. Uh, I think about the fear of growing up in South Central Los Angeles. Like, am I ever going to make it out? Am I going to make it to 18 years old? And I transfer that when I got you know, to college and trying to make it to the NFL. Am I good enough? I had a superstar brother who was killing it in the league while I was in college. And I thought, man, would I be able to make it? Um, but I even take that into financials. Because financial, I think so many of us are afraid of investing because we don't like, what does that mean? And, you know, what if it goes down? And, and if you're emotional about it, then it's very hard to really try to trust the investment process. Uh, but I always say on the other side of fear, and I talk about this in the book, on the other side of fear is something magical. And I think we see how volatile the market is, right? But when you're afraid because the stock market just went down and all of a sudden, if you look at it, you know, over the history of it, you go, wow, like on the other side of this, this was great. I'm glad that I took the time to be patient and invest in this. And now, look, I'm reaping the benefits. Have you had the opportunity to go and speak? Uh, Guy and I have done this once or twice, yeah. but to speak to some of the NFL teams, NBA teams, and some of these athletes so that you know, they actually have some better literacy than they have presently right yeah, now? Yeah, yeah, and we do. I mean, I think the NFL has done a, a better job as far as, like, getting these players aware of it, realizing that there's a big gap because all of a sudden you're expecting these guys who are so young right. and coming into a lot of money and they're supposed to be genius. It's unfair. It really is yeah. unfair to the modern athlete to think that you throw millions of dollars at them and they're supposed to be, like, geniuses. And it doesn't work that way. So um, I think the most important thing is really surrounding yourself with people who are knowledgeable about this and who has your best interest. But you also have to understand your why. And, and I think that's what, it, you know, when it comes down to investing, if you don't know why you're investing and what you want to invest in or what you want your future to be, your financial future, then it's very easy to live in the now and to, to buy this jewelry and to buy this car and to look cool for the gram, just in case yep. you guys don't know what the gram is. <laughs> Instagram. Yeah. Instagram. Yeah. That's a cool way of saying yeah. Instagram. You know <laughs> what he's talking about. You know what he's talking about. <laughs> yeah. Oh, are you on the gram? Uh, oh, he's on the gram. <laughs> <laughs> Quickly, Athletes for Education. It's a, kind of what Pete was asking you about, yeah. sort of spreading the knowledge. Yes. You know, Athletes for Education was a, um, a nonprofit that I was involved in when I was in college, no longer around, but it was amazing. And I, I just, I felt like I, it was a responsibility once I started to, like, once I went through the shock process of making money out of college, I was like, I got to make sure that other kids who are going to come in, whether it's in as a lawyer, a doctor, engineer, an athlete, I wanted to make sure that they knew coming into money, like make sure you start learning and having the conversation about investment and how it works. Great having you. Yes. Thank awesome. you so much. Awesome. Thank right, you. Thanks, Akbar is also a member of the CNBC Financial Wellness Council, NBC Universal and Comcast Ventures, investors in Acorns. Final trades are next.
Time for final trades. Pete. JD. Tim. Delta Airlines. That was Delta. Dan. Intel. Delta. And Guy. Southwest Air, Scott. That does it for us. Thanks so much for watching. Watch we'll see you tomorrow out. night. Mad Money begins now. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.